want to talk to you today about one of those pinnacle passages of Scripture. We have, uh, we've arrived to John chapter 14. We're only going to read two verses today, and uh, uh, we are going to cover a little more than two verses. We're only going to read two, and there's a reason we're going to do that. So uh, up on the screen, you're going to see them. Let's stand together. We're going to read verse 1 and verse 27, verse 1 and verse number 27 of this passage together this morning. The words are up there and let's read now. Ready. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And now verse number 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Interesting two bookends that I think we see on this passage. And um, the key phrase, those six little words, let not your heart be troubled, speak volumes to what was going on at the moment in the hearts of those who had been so faithfully for somewhat over three years now following him everywhere he went. Their hearts were troubled. You know, times don't change a lot. And uh, in, every, in every era, every epoch, there are reasons for hearts to be troubled. How many of you, uh, at l- over the last six months, and even perhaps today, you have troubles in your heart? Let's just say things are tough. Let's, just raise your hand. Yeah. And so he was speaking to them, and he is speaking to us. Let me pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gathering of the saints. Uh, We call it a church. It's an assembly. We have assembled. We have come together. We care about each other. We love each other. We want to serve each other. We want to admonish and encourage each other. But we are assembled here primarily today because we want to give you glory and magnify your name and lift you up so that all men can see that you are the Savior and there is none other. At the same time, we want to just... We want to just hear from you. Now, Father, help me not just stand in the pulpit and babble. Help me stand in the pulpit and communicate from your word. I pray that when we get done today, we will be able to say it was good to hear from God today in his word. Thank you for every single person that's in this room this morning. There's not a person in this room that is not made in your image. There's not a single person that walked in this building today is not somebody that by divine design is a prototype made by you that there's not another one like them. And you love every single person. You loved us so much, Father, that you sent your son into the world to save us from our sins. And help us now as we talk about this subject of heart trouble. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So those six words... Let not your heart be troubled gives us a really clear look at the mood of the disciples. Uh, They were worried. They were troubled. They were troubled about a lot. Somebody might say, well, what worries could they possibly have? They have accompanied Jesus for the the last three plus years. Uh, They have seen his incredible authority that's unquestioned, his power on full display. Things like deformity, disease, lack of resources, and even death presented no problem for him. 
Jesus could do what he wanted to do. He, he could basically, and I would love to be able to do this when I go fishing, but it never happens, but he could whistle for the fish to get in the net and they just do it. <laughs> Man, I could whistle till the cows come home and nothing's going to happen for me. Well, anyway, he, he would whistle for the fish and they would nearly sink the boats for number. He could heal a person, uh, whether he was standing in front of them or whether he was at a great distance. He changed the basic constitution of matter by turning the water into wine. He confounded all the laws of material substance by multiplying the fish and bread from just two fish and five barley loaves. He turned it into a sufficient amount to feed a multitude. Then he let a good friend, Lazarus, die so that he could do his greatest miracle up to that point and conquer death. And he raised Lazarus from the dead and he sat in many meetings and people could not argue against it. Lazarus was raised from the dead. He's going to raise us up from the dead one day. Amen. If he doesn't come back first and blow the trumpet and we arise and go to be with him. He is going to raise our bodies and change us and make us like unto his glorious, glorious body. But they were discouraged. He had just told them he was leaving them and that they couldn't come with him. That was 13, 31 to 33 and 36. They had also been informed that one of them, even one sitting at the table with them, was a turncoat. He was a betrayer. This was John 13, 21. Then they had heard in the last few verses that the boldest and the most fearless among them, Simon Peter, they heard that he was going to deny Jesus three times before morning. Their hearts were heavy with sorrow. They were burdened with grief. They had many questions. They had dedicated it all, walked away from their fishing nets and their vocations. They'd followed him for more than three years. And he said, I'm going away. One of you is a betrayer. And you, Peter, with the big mouth, you are going to betray me three times. Deny that you even know me three times before morning. Jesus loved them to the end. However, chapter 13, verse 2 isn't it amazing that Jesus is headed to Gethsemane? He's going to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood and the anguish as he faced the physical aspects of the cross. And he is then going to go to the cross to suffer unimaginably. But having that knowledge, he stopped to encourage the hearts of his disciples. And I can say to you with all confidence this morning that he wants to encourage the heart for every person who will read and heed the words that are from the lips of Jesus in this wonderful passage. Now, folks, we're not facing exactly the same things today, yet we live in a time of great uncertainty. Challenges and upheaval in our culture, nation, and the world. I was actually going to do a montage of pictures and run them across the screen this morning, but you see it enough. Words are enough. Our world, things are happening so fast we can't even track the changes. There's a barrier country called Ukraine between Russia and the West, and it's at war. North Korea this week tested in intercontinental missiles that can strike our mainland. The national economy is in shambles, and I've heard of job losses this week in our, con in our congregation. Inflation is out of control. How many of you know that to be a fact? Things cost more than they did a year ago. Just raise your hand up. Yeah, they. <laughs> I go to Ceriso Grill over there, and I've quit buying coffee because... The bill has gotten so high, you can kill a $20 bill just eating breakfast over there. And I'm not happy about it. I just want you to know that. But just in any event. <laughs> and if that isn't enough, 
more and more formal gospel, former gospel preaching churches are bowing to the pressures to accommodate the pervasive lifestyles of sinful rebellion and gender dysphoria. There are many troubled hearts in the room today, and I have not even mentioned the personal crises of sickness and death that have touched so many of us recently. The question is, does the Bible have anything pertinent to say about this? Well, verse 1 in verse 27, Jesus talks specifically to the situations of our life and says, let not your heart be troubled. Six words, say those with me. Let not your heart be troubled. He didn't just say think right. He said, let your thinking get to your heart and your emotions. God made emotions and he wants to give us an antidote for depression an antidote for discouragement, an antidote. He wants to give us something in the scriptures that will help us with those moments. So Jesus has a word for you sandwiched between the verses 1 and 27 are wonderful words of encouragement and hope. I want to just look at the first 11 or 12 verses with you today, just that many of the verses, and we'll pick it up next week and talk about some more of them. But I just want to announce to you today the first thing, and there's just two points to this sermon, and the first one is there is hope for tomorrow. There is hope for Tomorrow, you may not see the remedy, the answer, everything may not be exactly as you wish it were at this moment in time, but there is a bright tomorrow for the child of God. And the first thing he tells them, look at verse number two, he says, in my father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And so he tells them, he said, look, he says, there's a heavenly home waiting for you and it's a prepared place for prepared people. I can't go into all the details about the wonders of the heavenly city and our heavenly home, but I can tell you that when we arrive there, we will be at home. You know what home is? Home is the place where people can't tell you, you can't enter. <laughs> Home is the place where freckles and all, they receive you. Home. Well, we will dwell in the Father's house, in the Father's presence. We're going to dwell free from sin, sorrow, and suffering, and separation, or any other thing that would hinder the glory of the place. Revelation 21, 4, and 27. I can't adequately describe all the glories of the place. I think Paul summed it up beautifully in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. He said, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Prepared place for prepared people I hadn't seen. Now, it goes on to say we've seen it through the eyes of faith, but one day face to face, amen? One day in person. I heard lots of stories about lots of, I'd heard about London and all the wonders and all the history. I heard all about that and one day I went to see it and and uh, the reality was greater than the words that I had heard about it. In heaven, we can describe it all we want, but heaven's wonders and glory are going to be, as Paul says in another place, uh, words are not enough, and I cannot describe it. He says it's not even permitted for a man on this side to even try to describe all that I saw. Now, look, folks, I, I look forward to entering that city someday. According to Jesus, heaven is a real place. It's not the product of religious imagination. It's not just some psyched up mentality. It's not just some pie in the sky by and by. Heaven is a place and it is where God dwells 
And it's where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Heaven is described in the scriptures in the New Testament. It is described as a kingdom, uh, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.11. It's in, described as an inheritance, 1 Peter 1.4. It's described as a country, verse, chapter uh, 11 of Hebrews verse 16. It's described as a city, Hebrews 11.16. And it is described as our home. In John 14, 2, the word father is used 53 times from John 13 to John 17. You know, your primary relationship with the Trinity is that of he is our, God is our father and we are his children. We are his sons and daughters. Amen. I always looked forward to going home to my mom and dad's house. I, they were living in North Mississippi at the time my children were growing up and they lived way up a lane and way up a driveway and well, my mom and dad knew we were there, man. I mean, they'd come out and they'd be standing on that big old front porch of that Southern home and they just big grins. And I mean, my mother would just be sitting there just clapping her hands like that. We'd come up and my kids would giggle. I just love to go home. We're going home one day. This isn't home. Do you understand that? How many of you got hurts, pains, and sorrows going on in your life? This isn't home. We're, we're going home. <laughs> and one day we'll be there. God knows the day. He knows the hour. Unless we are blessed to bypass death in the rapture, the only way to get to heaven is through the door of death. I've done more funerals in my time than I really care to recount. And I did another one this last week. The Bible teaches that after death we go home. People are often frightened by the prospect of dying. People tell me quite often, Pastor Phil, I'm not afraid of being dead. I'm afraid of the dying, the actual part of it, moving from here to there. It just seems so frightening. For the child of God, death is not the end. It's just a time to go. I use this often in funerals, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, we're always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident. There's that word confident. God doesn't want you to, be, to lack confidence. He doesn't want you to go through life wondering. He doesn't want you to oh, I hope, I hope. No, no, no. We're confident that as long as we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. We are confident that to be absent from the body and, pre and to be present with the Lord. I've told Hundreds of people standing right here at this place with a casket in front of me that this person is no longer here, but they're finally home with the Lord because they're absent from the body. Go out to the cemetery and do all the memorials and remember your loved one as much as you want to, but just make sure you keep two words in your mind. If they're believers, not here, but there. Oh, it is so incredibly important. Jesus, or Paul, in his epistle to the Philippians, said he was going home to Jesus, which was far better. And folks, there's a heavenly home that waits for those that believe in him. Jesus was going away to prepare a place for us. And I, he, it's amazing. I, it occurred to me this week, I was thinking about this. It's interesting that Jesus, the carpenter by trade, right? That's what, that's what he was in his father's house as he was growing up. I, I personally think he was not so much a woodworker, but a stonemason because that's what was the materials of that area, himself being the chief cornerstone. But he was a stonemason and he was, he was building things here on earth. He was a carpenter by trade. And I love this. He is today, he is building his unstoppable church on earth and he is building our incorruptible home in heaven and he's doing it all at the same time. 
You talk about multitasking. Our God can multitask. He can multitask with every individual. So we have this home. We got a heavenly hope. <laughs> this is verse number three. Look at it again there. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. I'm coming back. Jesus said, I'm coming back for you. It's a heavenly hope and I'm coming back. There are some who do not believe in the rapture of the church. However, Jesus does believe in the rapture of the church. I'm going to stick with him. Amen. Paul sheds a little light on the mon monumental event in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. 1 Corinthians 4, 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Who's, who's coming to get us, by the way? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. He's not sending, he's not doing what Elisha did when he sent Gehazi out to meet and name. He didn't do that. No, no, no. The Lord himself is coming. He's descending with a shout and the voice of the archangel, the Bible says, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we were alive and remain. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Listen to these words. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Pastor Phil, what words of comfort do you have for me this morning? Has your loved one died in the Lord that knew the Lord? Well, I just want you to know you're going to see him again. And they're coming with Jesus when Jesus comes back. And we're going to be raised together. And we're going to forever be with him. And it's going to be a great comfort to be with our loved ones and Jesus for all of eternity. It's a comfort. People may doubt it, men may mock it, but Jesus is going to come again. And the best advice that I've got for you today is to be ready. Matthew 24:44 Therefore be ye also ready, for the son of man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. That's for those who have yet to believe, and that's for those who already believe but get sidetracked and distracted in life. Be ready for the Lord's return. There's something else here in these first three verses, and there's a heavenly homecoming. Where Jesus is, we will be. This is beautiful. I mean, he is going to be there, and we're going to be with him. The disciples are upset with the notion that Jesus is going away. Therefore, he tells them where he is going and that they can also come. Thank God today the greatest glory of heaven is not going to be the golden streets and the jasper walls and the angelic host and the crystal rivers and an endless day. And it's not even going to be those seeing those who have gone on before. And I know it's a great motivation for us and a great encouragement to know that we're going to see those who have gone on before. We're going to be reunited. In the Old Testament when somebody died it said many times and they were gathered to their people and I think that's a beautiful thing, but even that's not the splendor of heaven. The thought of all of these wonders pales when placed alongside that which should thrill our hearts more than anything else. And I have to tell you this morning, after 44 years of preaching and teaching this and talking about Jesus, first thing I want to see is Jesus. I want to see Jesus when I get to heaven. I most anticipate that that I look upon him, the one who died for me. Amen. We display a cross. Oh, God forbid that we glory in anything but the cross of Christ. Amen. We display a cross because at the cross, at the cross, 
at the cross is where Jesus stretched out his arms and says, I love you. I love you this much for eternity. And I forgive you. And if you believe in me, you will be with me in paradise. It's a heavenly homecoming. I look forward to at last having the opportunity to bow at his nail-pierced feet and to shout his praises in that heavenly city on high. One day we're going to join the glorified host of the redeemed in heaven to fall at his feet and give him glory. And what a day that will be. I almost had Denise come sing what a day that will be, but I just, we not enough time. I do want to read something together with you. The Bible says this, it says to Paul teaching Timothy, he says, look, let's give attention to the public reading of the word of God. So by the pen of the same author that wrote the gospel of John, I want us to read something inspired by God to this same author that he wrote in the book of Revelation. So let's read, stand together. I want you to read, let's read what it's going to be like. What's it going to be like? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? What's going to be going on? Read it with me. And I looked, say it with me. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Hold it. You wonder what happens to your prayers. Is God hearing my prayers? Is God answering my prayers? Does it make any difference when I pray? I just want you to know God's keeping every tear in his bottle. He's keeping every prayer in his bowl. He is writing down all of your events in a book. And in those bowls, those golden bowls of God are the prayers of the saints. They're not gone. Keep reading. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing." And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Amen. You have a hard time 
generating a spirit of worship in your heart. And if you have a hard time singing and praising, please get ready for heaven. Reorient your thinking. Because when you see the Lamb, who had, as it were, slain before the foundation of the world, the only response is bowing and saying glory and honor and power and riches be to the Lamb. You know what's going to be wonderful about heaven? Jesus. It's going to be wonderful in heaven. There's hope for tomorrow. You can be seated. There's hope for tomorrow. Amen. Uh, the disciples were enamored with the temple when Jesus was with them. They were amazed at all the ornate decorations and the, in, the embedded diamonds and jewels that were in the temple. But there stood Jesus among them and they, didn't, they wanted to talk about the temple. Please don't fall into the same category and be more enamored with the riches and wealth of heaven than you are the Savior of heaven, Jesus, who died for you. There is there's hope for tomorrow and there's help for today. This is verses 4 through 11, help for today. Jesus clarifies the pathway to heaven to the Father. Thomas was confused. He was stunned that Jesus was going to some place that he and the others couldn't follow. They didn't know where that was. As well, if he didn't know where Jesus was going, how could he know the way to get there? He told Thomas this. He said, to Thomas, he said, look, I, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but my me. He declares himself to be the only access to God for any, mind, for any man. He goes beyond that in the book of Revelation and says he is in fact the visible, the visible representation of God in verse 9. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father back up in here in John 14, 9. Back in verse 1, we see it clearly. He says, you already believe in God. Now have the same faith in me or have faith in God. Have faith in me. It was a claim of deity. We miss it sometimes. Look, you believe in God, believe in me because you know what? We're one. There's no doubt who Jesus claimed to be. He claimed equality with the Father. Boiled down to his very simplest forms very simplest terms, Jesus is the only means of salvation for all of humanity. Now, Pastor Phil, some people are born in places around the world where they have not heard of Jesus. All the more reason to preach Jesus, send missionaries. What are you looking to do, young person? What are you wanting to do with your life? Have you even considered? Has it even entered your mind? Have you even thought about this? Has it even occurred to you that maybe it's not doctor, lawyer, preacher, priest? Maybe it's not, no, 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 maybe it's not any of those things. Maybe it's not dog catcher. No, no, maybe God wants to send you to the ends of the earth with this gospel because there are untold millions that are still untold. But he's still the only way. He's not left himself without a witness, the book of Acts says. And the Bible says this, he says in the book of Psalm chapter 19, he says from the creation of the world, he says his voice has gone out to the ends of the earth. There's no place that his voice has not been heard from the creation of the world. Romans chapter one says that the power of God, the evidence of God, the, 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 the Trinity of God, the Godhead itself, all of these incredible, incredible things about the nature of God are evident from the creation of the world in Romans chapter one, 18 and following. Therefore, Acts 4, 2 says there's salvation in no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 16, 31 said, 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved in your house. And John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. And that son is the only link to heaven. They all bear testimony to the truth that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. On Wednesdays this summer, Pastor Matt and others have been leading us through a study in the book of series, uh, series in the book of Galatians. And if you ain't got anything to do on Wednesday night. Matter of fact, even if you have something to do on Wednesday night, you ought to be hearing this. This is incredible. Incredible. It's called No Other Gospel. Paul took great pains in Galatians to reiterate what Jesus said in John 14, 6. There's not another gospel because there's not another savior. And you can't work or perform your way into God's favor, into God's favor. The only, the only way is by coming to faith, coming to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Can anyone be saved? The way to heaven is exclusive. This is our greatest criticism from those on the outside. Why you people are just so proud and cocky. That's the way you Christians are. You think you've got all the answers and you know that that's the only, you just know that your way is the only way. Well, look, we didn't dream this up. It's not our words and our thoughts. We've been told that, told that by the one who made everything, the one who died and rose again. He's the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he makes this amazing statement, and nobody is coming to the Father except through me. If you're going to the Father, you're going to come through me. How narrow they say, but this is what the Bible teaches. Many believe that there are many routes that one can take to reach God. Yet the Bible makes it clear there's but one way for all men, and that way is through faith in the finished work of Jesus at Calvary, he is the substitutionary person who gave a substitutionary offering of himself and he substituted his innocent self for our guilty selves on the cross and he died to take our sins away. How narrow they say, that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus was sent by the Father to earth to blaze the trail from earth to heaven so that sinners could come to him by faith and be saved. I've given this illustration before at the church, and I just heard it down in Kansas City not too long ago, but C.T. Studd, a missionary to Congo, knew of a pioneer missionary in Africa that told that he was trying to take the gospel to a new tribe in Congo far to the north, with bearers, he arrived to a village at a point which the porters refused to go any further with him. The missionary appealed to a local chief, and there was someone in the village, is there anyone who can act as a guide to this distant northern tribe? And the chief summoned a man, a tall, battle-scarred man, carrying a very large axe. A bargain was made, and the next morning, the missionary set out uh, with this guide through the bush, following this man. The way became increasingly rough and the path had all but disappeared. There was an occasional mark blazed on a tree. Finally, the missionary called a halt and he asked the guide, are you sure you know the way? The man pulled, him up, pulled himself up to his full height and he said, white man, he said, you see this ax here in my hand? Do you see these scars all over my body? I want you to know with this ax, I blazed the trail to the tribal village to which we can go. I came from there. These scars I received when I made the way. You ask me if I know the way? Well, before I came, there was no way. And I am the way. Go with me. I'm here to tell you today that our heavenly father sent his son and he blazed the trail. He came from heaven and he picked up a lot of scars on the way. 
but he's taken us back and he's the one that knows the way to the Father and there's no way to get to heaven except through the person of Jesus Christ. Are you in him today? Do you know him today? Have you believed in him today? Have you trusted him and do you trust him? Two different things. Have you trusted him and do you trust him? Have you trusted him? Have you put your faith in him for salvation? Do you trust him that he's carrying you even though the way is difficult? Do you trust him? The way to heaven is not just exclusive. It is very, very inclusive. You say, now, Pastor Phil, uh, that is, uh, that you're at a point now where you're contradicting yourself. It can't be exclusive and inclusive at the same time. Well, of course it can. I like to go to Olive Garden to eat from time to time. Anybody with me there? Just anybody like Olive Garden? I know it's for old people and they, you know, they keep talking about how it's going out and it's about to fade and nobody wants to go anymore. They just built a new one on the south side and it was packed. I like to go to Olive Garden from time to time and I always get minestrone soup and salad. I love it. I just, I don't know why there's something about that soup and I love it. How many of you think their salad is really something special? I do. I love Olive Garden salad. I, I don't know whether it's the salad or whether it's the cold plate or whether it's the dressing. I don't know. I just love it. But you know, every time I go to the Olive Garden, they have an exclusive entrance. What do you mean by that? Well, you just, you're not going in there except through the door. I mean, you're not going to take an axe and, or a sledgehammer, beat a hole in the wall. I mean, they call the police. You're not coming in that way. You're coming in through the door. That's the way you, you go in. You know something else about that. Uh, I've got to go in their door to eat at their restaurant. I cannot go in next door up on Orlaver Road. I cannot go in next door at Perkins and find myself in the Olive Garden. Taco Bell is across the street. I cannot say, well, I want to go to Olive Garden, but I refuse to go in that door right there. I'm going to go in the door over here at Taco Bell, and I want my minestrone soup and salad delivered right over there. Not going to happen. I've got to go in the door of the Olive Garden. I'm going to have to go in. But wait a minute. It's an exclusive entrance. But here's what's so interesting about it. It's open to anyone who wants to come in. In fact, they spend tons of money on advertising just begging people, come in, come in, come in. We got all the minestrone soup and salads you could ever want to eat. Just come on in. And they got everything else under the sun, which, you know, I love those baked lasagna bites that they make. Anyway, I'll stop that. But just, they, uh, yeah, everybody's going to Olive Garden afterwards. But here's the deal. I love to go to Olive Garden. I don't have any problem going in at their door. And if I don't go in their door, I'm not going in. And it is inclusive. They spend loads of money advertising, begging people to come in. It's an inclusive thing because whosoever will can come in and sit down. If you got your money, you can sit down and eat at the Olive Garden. But I want to tell you something. Whosoever will may enter and drink and find life in the person of Jesus Christ. Just come in, but you don't need money. You don't need silver and gold. All you need is faith in Jesus Christ. And you can come in because it's inclusive. He wants everybody to come. Amen whosoever will let him come and drink of the water of life freely. This is Revelation, last thing, the last sermon in the Bible. Whosoever will may come. Amen. Whoa. Pastor, you're flying in the face of all of our brethren who are Calvinists. I'm sorry, I'm just teaching the scriptures to you this morning. How can I be saved? <laughs> Look at this threefold assurance. How can I be saved? Jesus is the way. How can I be sure Jesus is the truth? How can I be satisfied? He is the life. 
I just want you to know nobody's had life, don't know anything about life till you've met the prince of life and you've had him come into your heart. You don't know anything about peace. Isn't it interesting? In verse 27, they started off with troubled hearts. And he says, here's what you need for troubled hearts. You need peace in your heart. You may not have peace in the world that you live in, but you can certainly have peace in your heart. Isn't it beautiful? Ah, that's beautiful. I got to finish. Help for service. Time's up. I hate clocks. The reality of Jesus' departure was real. They had hope for the future, but what about their today? Like them, we live in the here and now. We have future hope, but we have to face life and service today. Well, there's good news. <laughs> Jesus knows all about our struggles, and he will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. I want you to notice in verse number 12, look if you would to 14, 12. It says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. These are wonderful, wonderful promises. First thing I want you to see is he will honor us. What's he gonna do with our faith we have for today? Well, he's gonna honor us. He's going to honor us. You say, well, how is that? He said, well, he declares that we're going to be able to do greater works than those which he did. Now, this is one of the most confounding verses in all of the scripture to me, to be able to even think. I mean, the guy raised people from the dead. He healed sick people, turned water into wine. I mean, he created heaven and earth. I mean, what do you mean? Greater works than he did. But he's going to honor us. Uh, it's humbling. What he means is they're going to be greater in quantity, but they're not going to be greater in quality. Listen to this. When Jesus was here, he was limited to one geographical locality. But now that he's ascended back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, which we're going to preach and teach about, sent the Holy Spirit to indwell his people, he now has the ability to be many, many, many more places working all at the same time. I'm not the only gospel preacher at this hour this morning in the city of Des Moines. You understand that? Why? Because the Holy Spirit entwells many and we're doing greater works. We're spreading out further. You get that? This is what he's doing. Now, while Jesus was on earth, many of his miracles were physical in nature, which were incredible. But he uses his children to bring the word of salvation to lost men and women. And this is a tremendous miracle. That which is spiritual is always greater. The physical works of Jesus wow us, but it's the salvation work in our heart that is life-changing and makes us from being on the road to hell to being on the road to heaven. Amen. He will honor us. Something else he'll do, he will hear us. Verse 13 and 14, we're given the promise that when we call on the name of the Lord, he will hear us and will move in the time of our need. It makes serving Jesus so much easier to know that we don't serve alone, that we have his presence and attention to our prayers. Folks, we serve a prayer hearing and prayer answering God. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. The answered prayers in this passage are given in the context of doing greater works. Don't miss that. In fact, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, 20, Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. So his presence was promised in relation to the Great Commission. Here, his presence and his answering of prayer is given in response to the greater works that we are doing. I'm not going to go too deep into the prayer aspect because it's coming up huge in chapters 15 through 17. But let me just say this. Answered prayer has to do with the petitions we make if the petitions we make are in line with his will and his work in the world. You see, it's thy will be done. 
on earth as it is in heaven. Finally, he will help us, verse 13 and 14. Not only does Jesus promise to hear our prayers, but he also promises to move in such a way as to bring about an answer. He hears us and he will help us. I'm glad to know that we don't serve a God who has left us to just make it the best way we can. No, we serve a Lord. We serve a, a, a wonderful Savior who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. And he's promised to do so. He gives us what we need day by day, and he gives us power to obey his commands and to carry out his plan. Matthew 7, 7 to 8, asking it'll be given to you, seeking you will find, knocking it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks find, and to him who knocks it will be open. And he goes on to say, and the Father delights to give the Holy Spirit to everyone who asks him. I want to point out something so simple that it can easily be overlooked in this passage. What did Jesus say the disciples needed to do as they faced his departure, as they faced the treachery of a disciple and the failure of their leader, Peter? What did he tell them to do? Look at chapter 14 and verse number one. Let not your heart be troubled. You what? Believe in God. What are we supposed to do? Believe also in me. Drop down to verse number 10. It says in verse number 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Look at verse number 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Verse 12, most assuredly I say to you, to, to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. What is, the, what is it that he is required what is required of those people to handle the troubled times in which they were living and the heart troubles that they were going through? What is it that is required? Believe. How does a person come to know Jesus as their personal savior? Once you've got the facts and you have the information and you understand your lost state and understand what God did to save people from their sin, what is it that is required of us? It is required that we believe. What is it that is required of us to handle the troubles of life and to get from today till tomorrow, from tomorrow to the next, and from this week to next, and from next month to the next, and from here to eternity? What is required? Belief. Do you believe, Jesus? Have you believed? Do you believe? Two questions. Have you believed? Have you put your faith in Jesus I didn't say the church or a baptismal tank. I didn't say in some sort of ritual that we might do in some church or some confirmation in some church. I didn't say any of those things. The scripture doesn't mention any of them. He says, believe me, Jesus said. Have you believed? Do you believe? Trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. I can still hear my mother singing this with an accent. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Only trust him. Only trust him. Oh, man. Yes, Jesus is. The truth, the way that leads you into rest. Believe in him without delay. And you are fully blessed. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him. Now, tomorrow, next week, next month, when he says cancer, when he says heart disease, doesn't matter what he says at the doctor's office. 
only trust him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, that's a pitiful effort of trying to emphasize what you just told us so clearly. Let not our hearts be troubled. Father, there may be people here today that do not know you and have never made that first step of believing. They've never believed who you are and what you did. I pray that today would be the day that they would do that. Maybe they're here today and they've trusted you, they believe in you, but boy, they just they have a hard time with what's going on right now in their lives. I pray that you'd help them. And I pray that the same faith that they exercise to become part of your family, they would exercise to believe that you are God and you are large and you are in charge and you're gonna bring us to the safe haven that you have prepared for us. Thank you for this wonderful passage of scripture. Help us to believe no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.